Hi, welcome to the Us and Kids podcast. I am your host, Jan Talon. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, a wife, a mom, and a grandma. This Us and Kids podcast is about how to be married forever while you parent together. And today's episode is about how to do that even when you have experienced a miscarriage or an early infant loss. And really, I think much of this applies to if you've lost a child at any age. You know, this isn't an easy task to keep a marriage together under such great pressure and strain. So I encourage you to subscribe to Us and Kids in your favorite podcasting app. I'm glad you're here. Your marriage and your home are very worth it. Let's get started today. Our talk today is from an interview that I did a little while ago with an expert in the Grand Rapids area where I live. She has been working with pregnancy loss and infant loss for over 40 years. And so I had talked with her about many different things that happen through these experiences that no one ever wants to have happen. And so I'm going to tell you what questions I asked her, and then I'm going to give you some of her responses as I sort of condense them down to fit them into this podcast. The first thing she talks about is this idea that grief for the loss of a child is called disenfranchised grief because it's a grief that's not accepted not accepted in two ways. We never anticipated it as we became pregnant, either male or female. In the pregnancy process, we are anticipating life, not death. And so our brains go to, wait, this shouldn't be happening. I'm supposed to have life here. I'm not supposed to be grieving for this. This is wrong. And how people experience this disenfranchised grief is different for every couple and for every person in the couple. Husband and wife, mom and dad, will experience this grief differently. It's really impacted in some ways by what our hopes and our dreams and our plans were. She goes back and says, it depends in some ways about how much you dreamed and drooled over becoming a mommy or a daddy. In your playing with your dollies or with your cars and how you parented them or lined them up or tucked them in and put them all in just their places, how carefully you were about them, how mad you were when one of your brothers or sisters took it away. Those things are things that feed into our hopes and dreams when we become a mom and a dad. We can find it hard to think, why am I grieving about something that sometimes is hardly the size of my thumb? It's just little. It's not very well developed. Nancy will talk about that it is important for grieving parents 
to talk with each other about what they remember from childhood, about their dreams and their hopes and how they grew up, because it will help their spouse understand the depth of their grief. It takes a few minutes to process it with each other. It takes a few minutes to process it ourselves. So give yourself four or five seconds, right? And then you'll have it figured out. But really, these things pop up in our thoughts over time. Because the grief is ongoing and doesn't just go away. And that means that we might talk about this two or three or five or ten times with our spouse about something else we learned or understood. In part of that grief, it's pretty common to think Is it my fault? I did this. I had two cups of coffee. I slept on my belly. I drank wine or I went out partying with friends. I didn't know I was pregnant, but I'm sure that's what happened. She reminds you, be sure to talk about this with your OBGYN. They're the people who read the research. And so they're the people who know about what's the latest information, and they can give you accurate information. In early pregnancy and loss, in those first 12 weeks, we know that often it's because something is genetically not going well, and that doesn't make it easier to lose your baby. It's information that can help us understand our grief, but not take away our grief. It's not uncommon to think, especially in a mommy's brain, I'm inadequate. My body was made for having babies. It's the way it's structured. And my body failed me. It's because of me that I didn't have this little one. Remember, Good friends who understand this can help you think this in a little bit more gentle way. But so can therapists, so can support groups. In part of this, is it my fault, we often can have a trauma response. Now, This is a common thought for someone who has experienced trauma, and death is considered a trauma. This thought of I am helpless. And if I'm helpless, there's no hope in this. You see, there's the break of the hope and the dream in your baby's death. And there's this helplessness that nothing could stop this miscarriage. Those are qualities of what we say is a trauma. And in doing some trauma work with a therapist or by some good conversations and doing some good journaling, you can begin to reset so that the trauma doesn't overtake you and stay inside of you, but instead that you're able to process that and return back to hopes and dreams. Resolving this trauma so that your fear goes down, your fear of becoming pregnant, your fear of miscarrying goes down, not necessarily away, but goes down. 
and your anxiety about becoming pregnant and about miscarrying. And this can be true for guys and for girls. Those things become less. Nancy reminds us, each pregnancy is in the world of research considered an individual pregnancy. And so what happened in one pregnancy is not necessarily going to roll over to the next one or the next one. If you need to, be your own advocate. If you would like another opinion, get another opinion, a professional opinion. Not just opinions from friends. Be careful with that, but choose where you get other information from and make sure you're using information that help you release your fear or deal with it. Now, some people will say, I'm not grieving this right. I messed up the pregnancy, and now, of course, I'm messing up the grief. Nancy reminds us, any grief counselor will tell you this, Grieving happens individually. Because of our personalities, because of those hopes and dreams that are just ours, that sets us up to grieve in our own unique way. Nancy does say there are a few stages here, common to grief, but a little bit different language. The first part of grief is being shocked and just numb. I can't believe it. You walk around the house, you look at your baby things, you're still a little pudgy, you just can't quite believe it. And you think, well, you know, I have to do this, or no, I shouldn't eat that, or um, or, be careful about this, because we're still thinking, not with shame, still thinking, I should be pregnant. That's part of the shock and numbs face. It's normal. Not fun, but normal. As that starts to move into the search and yearn phase, it goes into why. Why why did this happen? Why did it happen to me? I got to get the answers. Will it happen again? How can I keep it from happening again? And we go on this piece of healing that says, I need to understand my body more. I need to understand my baby more. Couples, do this together, even though you might be in different spaces. If one person is on the search and figure it out phase and the other person is still in shock and numb phase, gently bounce with those two back and forth. Don't one of you run away with all the intellectual stuff thinking it will calm down your, your spouse who is in the shock and numb face because it won't. It will keep them in shock and numb. Pace this a little bit so that you're working somewhat together, not like step, step, step. I think that's a little unrealistic, okay? But working it just gently together. You see, we have to move from our head to our heart, from our heart to our head. We want to keep those two pieces moving and not get totally stuck in our head and not get totally stuck in our heart. Part of the grief in search and yearn is realizing I will never have this baby in my arms. And it breaks our heart. 
no matter what size or age or situation of this baby, this little one will never be in our arms. And there's true grief in that. Give them space for grief. Grief comes in waves and in phases and goes backwards and forwards and in and out. And some days are less grief-filled and some days are more. This is part of the healing process. It's not fun. It is a part of the process. As the grief process moves on, there's some reorganization. This is the desire to get pregnant again. The fear becomes less. Sleep becomes a little more normal, less dreamy, less troubled, less just overtaking. And there's like, okay, we, we have to fit this into our life somehow. How are we going to do that? Let's keep on figuring that out. Remember, you and your spouse, mom and dad, are going to do these differently. And they move in and out. We'll be in shock and numb for part of the day, and then we'll go to reorganization. And then we'll go to search and urine and back to shock and numb. But our spouse will start out the day with reorganization. And the middle of the day, we'll go to shock and numb, and we'll move to search and urine. We'll hop back to reorganization. And so you see, because the couple is doing it differently, does it make it wrong? The important space in this is to keep staying in conversation with each other. Check in with each other. How are you doing today? Where did you think about our little one? And somebody might say, I didn't. It's okay. This isn't rejection of your little one. This was part of reorganization where they dove into work and they gave the rest of their emotions a minute to rest. Everybody does grief differently. Talk about it. Remind each other of your love for each other. There are three steps here. Talk about it. Remind each other of your love for each other. This is where you sit on the couch together, where you hold hands, where you give a real hug and maybe a sweet kiss to each other two or three times a day. And thirdly, listen in, do something normal together. If you made dinner together pre-baby, pre-pregnancy, do that again. If you usually went on walks with each other, if you usually watched a show together, if you usually paid bills together, whatever you usually did together, do something together. 15 to 30 minutes, it keeps you on the same page. It gives each other support. This isn't to let, to block the grief out. Instead, it's to incorporate normalness into the grief because the grief is ongoing, but so is the normalness. And this is a part of that reorganization that brings more stability. As long as I'm talking about couples, one other thing about couples is this conversation about sex. And somebody wants it and somebody doesn't have it. And somebody will say, and this is true for men as well as for women, I can't. That's how 
we got pregnant is by being intimate. And it has so many triggers for me that it just sends me in this dark hole. On the other side of the spectrum, these aren't the only two responses, but on the other side of the spectrum is when we're intimate is when I can grieve. Oh, that's a thought. When I'm that close to you, I feel safe enough to actually let my grief come to the forefront. But I need to be that close to you in order to experience it. And I know I need to grieve. I I need you really close to me to do that. Oh, this is where those conversations gently, oh, so gently, with lots of compassion, not critical, less fear, lean in with each other and talk with each other about it. Not all intimacy is just a distraction to get yourself away from the memory of your baby that's not with you. Some intimacy is healing, and that's where you figure out what that is for each of you with kindness and with acceptance of your spouse's space. Once again, I'll say it, if you need to, You get some help. Talk with a therapist to help sort of organize this funky space. I know, I'm a therapist. Nobody wants to bring their bedroom to me. And yet, the reality is, us therapists talk about the bedroom stuff a lot. We know language for it. We know how to process it with you without being too graphic or too gross. And we have good tips that can help you in connecting with each other. So now let's move on a little bit to the social side of things, okay? Um, Because some people will say, well, you named your baby? You named it? It's not even alive. It wasn't even very big. Oh, what did you name it? Oh, please. Mom and dad, when you get that kind of reaction, and they may not say it that verbally, but you can see it in their face. Deep breath. Okay, naming and not naming your baby, however you deal with it, is up to you. You are the mom and the dad of this little one, and you get to choose what's best for you. Sometimes a name is helpful because it gives you a way to think and to talk about the little one. So, I, uh, thankfully, I have never had a miscarriage, but all of our babies in utero were named Herbie from a very old movie called Herbie the Love Bug. And so affectionately, people said, is that what you're going to name your baby for real? We were like, oh, no, we just have to have something to call our little one while we're pregnant. We were pre-days where you found out anything about your baby that you even had an ultrasound. So we never knew if we were having a boy or a girl. Herbie worked, but it helped us talk about our little one without saying baby or or fetus or something else. It personalized it enough for us. Sometimes names help to validate our loss. People will name, they won't necessarily name their baby 
the name that they were going to give that child in life. They will move it to a different name that might be hope or joy because that's what they're going to get from this experience. Some people really know in their hearts, in their minds, sometimes because they've held their little one and seen him, that they have a little boy or a little girl, and then they pick a name around that. A name, however you name it or talk about it, is also helpful to other kids in your family. If you have other little ones around, you're processing some of that with them, but they know children as having names. And so when they want to talk about their family, they will often want to talk about their little brother or sister that's not with them, but they're going to need a name. So help your child with that language as well. Some people I know have just named it after the month. However you name your baby, however you talk about your baby, communicate that with your kids so that they have language for it as well. So let's move on, because as we talk about kids, there are people around who are going to say, oh, what a cute family. Is that how many kids you have, or do you have more? Or they'll say, how many kids do you have? Oh, I know this is a grandma because I have grandbabies in heaven, and I don't always know how to answer. It can often be circumstantially independent, meaning this. When it's appropriate to say, I have three children right here around me underfoot, and I have one or three or five little babies in heaven. Some moms will say, I have to mention my little one that's not in my arms because otherwise I don't give it any dignity. There's no respect for this little one if I won't talk about it. I talk about the rest of them. I got to talk about this one too. And so they mention it because it honors their identity as a mom or as a dad. This is individual. You can choose when to mention, if you want to, about that I have four little ones here and two in heaven. I have five and one in heaven, (laughs) right? Whatever is best for you and your spouse may be different than you. The two of you are going to talk about that, and you're going to talk about the language for it so that your kids know what the language could be and so that you and your spouse are together on how to talk about it. One final thing here. We have people who say, how many kids do you have? But from that, when you say, I have three children here and one in heaven, Then you can get a strange comment, like, oh, why'd you tell me that? Or, oh, yeah, that happened to a friend of mine, too. And they will say something sort of out of ignorance, or they will put their own coping skill on what they expect you to do. So, yeah, my mom had a miscarriage, too, but we never talk about it. Why are you talking about it? Oh, that's their coping skill. Never talk about it. But you might be have a different coping skill, which is okay. 
don't be afraid, Mom and Dad, to be empowered and to speak back a little bit. You might be able to say, well, this is how I feel. My child that is in heaven is as precious to me as the other ones here. I would never tell you because you see three and I have a fourth one over on the other side of the playground that I only have three children. I would tell you I have four. And so this is just integrous to me. You might also be able to say, well, I understand where you may think that I should just let this go and not talk about it. But I had a lot of hopes and dreams for this little one. And... Those hopes and dreams don't fade just because I don't hold them in my arms. Now, I just gave you some language. You can build on it and adjust it as you would like to and use it when you find it wise to do so. At times, these conversations also help the person who said the strange comment, who was sort of tripping over their words, to do a little more learning. They're not really ill-intentioned. Sometimes they're just not very well-informed. They were trying to be helpful in some way. Just didn't really know what to do. So, in so much of this conversation that we've had today, you've heard me say over and over and over again, kindness, grace, acceptance, understanding, Qualities that take strength from us, strengths to use, but also qualities that build strength in us. Grief is ongoing. I know mommies who and daddies who have had that little one in heaven for five years, 10 years, 40 years. Just like they haven't forgotten their children running around them or they're paying college tuition for. Or they're now grandparents to their adult children's kids. They still remember those children, their children, 40 years later, because they're real. So I encourage you, share this with your spouse. Share this podcast with other people who it might be helpful to understand more. The DNA for Fun course on the Us and Kids website helps to build these communication skills that helps to process this kind of grief. It isn't written exactly for this grief, but the skills are useful at any level here. And if you want a little more support without going to a therapist, this is a course that, because I wrote it and I know it, I know would be helpful to processing grief. If you need more information, be be sure to just email me at support at usandkids.com and I will gladly talk with you, email you some, and help you figure out your best next step. This is not an easy journey, not for you or for the friend you're walking alongside. Be patient, be gentle, be hopeful. Love your children as best you can in whatever way is best for you. I'm cheering for you in my world. I'm praying for you. And I look forward to talking to you next week. Bye-bye.